My name is Hemish Langaratne, and I'm the founder of RX Group and the host of Let's Talk Quality. Let's Talk Quality is a podcast aimed at quality assurance professionals in pharma and biotech. Join us to learn from some of the best QA leaders around the world and hear how they've developed their careers as they provide some practical insights into how they've got to the top of their field. Our mission is to shine a light on what good quality assurance really means for pharma and biotech. What impact does it really have on the patient? We want to explore some of the biggest challenges facing the sector and inspire the next generation of quality assurance leaders to continue to help bring safer and better quality therapies to patients. Welcome to season one. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, welcome, Anne. Welcome to Let's Talk Quality. Um, thanks for thanks for joining us. Let's get into it. I suppose for the benefit of the viewers, do you want to give a overview of who you are and what your um, what your current role is? Sure, sure. Uh, Anne Farnsworth, and I'm the vice president of quality at a small startup company in Watertown, Mass. Been there a couple of years. Um, been doing this for thirty years, which is crazy to me, but um, 30 years, mostly in the in the QA space, I did start out doing a little bit of inventory control and production planning, but quickly moved into to QA. And that's where I've been. Um, I started out with a, a bachelor's of science in mass communication. So not exactly the science route, um, but I do have a, a master's of science in, in pharmaceutical quality and GMP. So I went back and got that science short up. I remember you saying um, how when when I asked you how you got into science in the first place, it was an interest. You've got an interesting um, story, Anne. Um, how, how did you how did you initially get into it? Well, I was I had graduated with an idea of being a DJ, um, and I was waiting for my big break. And uh, of course, you needed a full time job, so I was working in a pharmacy at a drugstore down the street as a pharmacy technician. And a friend of mine went to work at a local. Uh, pharmaceutical company and said, I've got a great job for you. Um, so I went over and I interviewed and I took an inventory control job over there. Um, and then radio got less and less interesting to me and the pharmaceuticals got more and more interesting to me. And and here I am. There you go. Well, thank, thank, yeah. thank goodness for that. You didn't you didn't go into your career as a DJ and you, you're saving lives and, and uh, creating safe medicine <laughs> for people. So uh, yeah. Um, a little different. I still get to use a lot of the mass communication stuff, though. Yeah. Obviously, giving trainings and writing and all of yeah, those yeah, fundamentals. Yeah. So, so let's get into it then. What, in your eyes, then, what what makes a good quality assurance leader? Probably somebody that's that's a good listener that isn't, you know, going to come at it as if they're the police or that they're something more than they're not. You know, they're just part of a team um, with a different focus than some of the other functional areas, right? The the focus being on proving and documenting all of the things that we're doing around patient safety and, and in that avenue. So working with the team, being approachable, being a good listener, um, not trying to be the the subject matter expert for other groups, right? Just being, you know, who you are. You're the subject matter expert of quality and you take it from there. And we spoke a bit about sort of the history of quality assurance and 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 you spoke about you know a lot about what you do and the stories you tell to people joining your business your your team whether it be junior members senior members um how do you how do you go about explaining that that journey and the significance of good quality assurance to to people in your business and 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 how have you done that throughout your career mm. 
Well, it's definitely grown, you know, as I've grown, uh, my views have changed and the way I would explain it changed, but certainly always relying on history because fortunately or unfortunately, there's far too many examples of, of when things went wrong. Um, and if you can approach people from the consumer side, you know, that they're all consumers of, of pharmaceuticals and what they want, you know, and then taking that, you know, using the examples throughout history of these horrible tragedies that preceded regulation, right? You, you, you can easily point to why we're regulated, right? And then getting into internal quality and the role we play. But then, you know, the important part there, and that's where maybe as I've gone through the years, my position has changed to really explain to people the the name is a misnomer. Quality assurance, there's just no way that group assures quality, right? Because no no one group can, no one person can, no group of eight, you know, in a company can. We just have a different focus than the other groups. All the groups are focused on patient safety and product safety. Um, all the groups should care about their SOPs, right? So a lot of times if someone doesn't really have that or in a new culture or, or in someone that doesn't get quality per se, they might just say, well, quality does the SOPs. Mm. And it's, you know, it's taking a step back and go, no, we're providing a foundation for you to put your SOP down, but we're not the subject matter expert. We're not going to tell you how to do your job. We're going to give you a foundation to put it in. We all want the same thing, patient safety, but we're just going to come at it from a different focus, you know, mm. um, which is how did you, how did you write that down? I heard what you told me, but that's not what you wrote down. Um, you know, certainly is, is one avenue and then being in touch with what everybody else in the industry is doing so that you make sure your company is either in line with everybody else or can justify why you're doing something different. So as a new, so if you have an, uh, a new starter in your team or in your business, um, what do you go through a process? Is there a, um, a, I suppose, a journey that a new starter would take when when they join your quality assurance team? Sure. I mean, we put everyone, QA or, or not, um, through an intro to GXP, which you know is a customizable program. Meaning, you know, it starts off with as an hour and a half, two hour program that has you know eighty slides, and we're going over the history and what is quality and you know, what is drug development, but you customize it as people come in. So you got a new hire and they're, they're 20 years in the industry and they could teach me a few things, yeah. then we customize, right? And the, the reason that we put everyone through it is just the level set. This is how we're doing quality here because there are slight differences between companies. So you, you've got to make sure everyone kind of understands what you're doing there. And it, everyone has gaps. So explaining to them or acknowledging, yes, we know we don't have these five SOPs in place. They're coming. In the meantime, we're relying on X, Y, Z, that kind of yeah. approach. Um, meanwhile, you know, the, the new folks coming aboard that are new to the industry, we're trying to give them that background of history. We're trying to explain what our role is um, and bring them along slowly because I think the heart, especially, you know, I'm in clinical trials and you know, there's a lot more gray for us. Um, and there's a lot more room for for growth and creativity um, than maybe in the later stages. And people that don't have a lot of experience are not necessarily, they're going to be more conservative. They're going to be uncomfortable with that. Yeah. So you want to hire the right person that would be comfortable. And then even then you really have to be talking to them and, and putting them in the right, giving them the right projects to succeed. Don't give them something that is going to be really, um, 
you know, very much in the gray area where someone really has to understand the fundamentals to understand whether or not this would be okay for us yeah. Um, to do. Yeah, yeah. And is that something that you've picked up yourself? You know, you've always done throughout your career or your leadership career, or did it? Did you pick it up recently in, in uh, C four? I've I've had to definitely grow into that. I've, I've certainly been in a lot of small companies where, you know, you, when you first come in, you come in and you're expecting certain things. You, especially if you come in from a larger organization, they had a, a procedure at you know the last company, and they always did things this way. Um, and you get very uncomfortable when you're doing it a new way until you understand the fundamentals. And that takes a while. So I'd say, no, I wasn't always there. Yeah. It, it took a while to understand the fundamentals. And then, you know, I've worked at, I've lost track, but, you know, probably six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 companies, right? And I've audited a fair number of them as well. And you, you start to see that there are 3,000 ways to do things. Um, and you really can start to boil down to, but there has to be this foundation there that meets the, the antenna. Yeah. So explaining the, the history or talking someone through the history and of quality assurance and the why, um, why it's significant. How do you make that? Cause there's a, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot to that, you know, dates yeah. back hundreds of years, but how do you make that fun, interesting, engaging to your people? Yeah, that can be tough because sometimes the topic can be quite dry. Mm. But <laughs> but you try to throw in, you know. Certainly, I'm I'm a competitive person and I like games, right? So I've made you know fun out of it. Whether we're doing a Jeopardy style um, game show or I've done Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, we've done Monopoly, <laughs> um, all sorts of of things like that where you're you're trying to at least grab their attention that way. But but when you design it, you've got two or three things in mind. You can't expect somebody to to understand 100 years of, of history and the foundation behind it in one simple session. So you take a step back and you say, I want them to get three things out of it. You know, whatever those three things are, you just embed it in what you're doing. And then I think the, the final thing is, is to just kind of make it relatable. So I think a lot of mistakes that people make is they try to they try to use FDA or they try to use the threat of an audit as the reason to do something. And, you know, if you're in an early stage company and the reality is you, you probably aren't going to see an auditor for three, four, five years, pointing at that is not relatable to somebody. You don't necessarily have their attention like you do when you're saying, oh, they'll be here next month. Then you have their attention. But at this stage, you may not, right? So, so what are you talking about? You're talking about value added. How is this going to help us? forget the regulators for a minute, but there is a reason that they want it. And what is that reason? And how can we put it in here that it'll, it's going to be value added for you? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. And do you ever talk about, I suppose, some of the, the tragedies that have happened over over the years and um, oh, you know, you yeah. explain uh, the significance of it? Obviously, it's a pretty, you know, it's a, like you say, it's, it's, a, it's not a, the, the happiest of, of topics, but it, it also explains the significance of why quality is important. Oh yeah, I mean, probably too much. But I have a passion for it. I just, I just, it's morbidly fascinating to me some of the things that have happened or gone on. Um, and so, in that course, I'll spend, you know, a fair amount of time, or as much time as someone will want. Again, I'm trying to gauge their interest. But if I'll show them, you know, a timeline of everything that's happened and every 
every regulation that's gone into place, which is usually preceded by a tragedy, right? Yeah. Because it was its business. And, you know, for whatever reason, they couldn't get the law into place. And so there'll be something, some tragedy that got the public's attention that was able to move this into regulation, right? So I will spend as much time as anybody wants on those topics, especially big ones like the elixir of sulfonilamide tragedy or um, thalidomide or, or anything like that, where we're horrible as far as the amount of lives lost. Yeah. But yeah. And do you, do you, how does that, like, do you, do you, I suppose, differ your approach if you're speaking with someone who's, you know, junior five years in the industry versus uh, a senior person coming in or even someone above you, like, you know, an MD or a, a, C, a C level person? Yeah, absolutely. Completely customizable. Again, depending on the personality of the person. Um, sometimes I'll get a senior, especially like an MD coming into the, yeah. the company. I've done it either way, meaning I will go and just have a one-on-one -on -one with them where we talk about the things they absolutely have to know. These, This is how we do it here. Yeah. <clears throat> Mainly the things they need to know is how this company is operating within the regs. Um, other than that, they either have the history or they don't. I'll probably hand them the slides and say, if you're interested, that information is there. I'm sure you've heard it all before. Um, <clears throat> but I've had experiences where somebody's like, no, I haven't heard about that one. Tell me about that incident, right? And we get into a conversation and they're saying, how do you know about that? And I'm giving them book recommendations and we're having a, a wonderful conversation about it. And then you you run into people that are less interested in that. They're busy. Good. And, you know, I give them the the 20 minute spiel about how we're doing it here. Um, and that's that. Yeah, imagine so. that. And, and you're obviously at C4, so you're at preclinical stage. Um at the moment, they've they've brought you in um, as as their senior quality head, which signals to to me that they take quality seriously and that yeah. it's at the you know the um, I suppose it's it's at the forefront of the the leadership team's thoughts. What would you if there are leaders of biotechs or founders or CEOs um, listening to this uh, companies who are at that preclinical stage of you know pre IND um, and might not necessarily have processes or, or quality systems in place and are, are going through that, pro that process of trying to get their IND approval submission and, and stuff like that. What would you, what would you say to them um, about the significance of bringing in quality at, at preclinical stage or, or as early as possible? Yeah, so this is the earliest I've ever been brought in. I and mean, we are in clinical, so they brought me in. Uh, they were in phase one. Um, and so now we have three programs in phase one um, in U.S. and in Europe. Right. Um, and I, I think the significance is it, it takes a long time to build a quality culture, a long time, um, because it's not as easy as one might think, right? Well, um, it, it's like anything else. It, it's just building that understanding that that relationship. Um, early on, I had a, a great lesson, I would say. Um, I worked at a company and we were in a pre-approval inspection and I was part of the inspection, uh, the audit support team and the auditor, we had team biologics in. So we had five, you know, FDA inspectors there, very sharp people. Um, and we were a small company, so it wasn't like it was easy for us. I mean, there was probably eight people in QA and they were all on this, <laughs> on this inspection, right? There was almost more inspectors than us. <laughs> but anyways, we, we were there supporting that. 
And I forget the exact reason why, but there was some concern by one of the inspectors about our nitrogen system. And so as FDA will do or any auditor will do, they started to pull the string about, well, what about this nitrogen? Let me see the testing. Let me see that. And then I think it could have been that we weren't actually testing the quality of the nitrogen. And so they they asked to see filter testings, filters from the system that the nitrogen was being used on to see if they, you know, there were filter failures or things like that. So we, you know, sent the request out to manufacturing to send us over these filter tests. <laughs> well, they weren't coming back, right? And so now we're getting itchy, FDA is getting itchy, and we step out of the room to find that, yes, manufacturing has brought us a box of 300 or so failed filter integrity tests. Wow. And so what do you do with that, right? Yeah. It, it's like, ah, uh, yeah. so it was a really good lesson for a lot of things, right? So at that particular moment, I was in a, a quality assurance group that was not approachable, right? Um, the culture wasn't there for quality. People didn't understand quality. It was, you go to them when you absolutely have to, it's going to be punitive. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get in an argument. You're going to be asked to do all this work. You're not going to be treated well, that, that kind of um, environment or relationship. So they didn't bring us the filters until we asked during this inspection. Then we had failed filters. I say, so, I mean, the first lesson is you don't ever want to find that out on, you know, on an inspection. So you want to be an approachable quality assurance group. You want to have time to build that culture so that you're not running into this. But I think the the second thing I learned was about inspection management, right? So the person in charge of the inspection decided that we were going to withhold those filters until we had a chance to look into it and figure out what was going on because we didn't know anything. Um, that didn't make the inspector very happy that we're, we said, look, we have an issue. We need time. We, we will present this to you tomorrow morning. And then obviously a bunch of people worked overnight to figure out that, you know, the wrong program was being used to test these. So there probably wasn't anything wrong with the nitrogen, but there was a big problem with our collaboration with manufacturing, the, you know, the type of uh, system that was being used and the training of the, of the personnel. So we wrote a deviation. We organized this box into what failed, why, you know, made our case, wrote a pretty much full investigation, presented it to the auditor. The auditor said, wow, thank you very much. You saved me two weeks worth of work. Still a 483, <laughs> but <laughs> appreciate your efforts yeah. here. Um, and we had a great relationship with that particular inspector, I think, because we didn't lie, but we also just didn't hand her a big problem yeah. and say, wow. You know, so it was a good lesson in inspection man- management as far as you need to be walking that sensible line as far as you, you need to have your your ducks in a row. You need to understand what you're telling them and why. Um, but you need to be forthcoming. And I think we were able to walk that line both. We, we have an issue, but we need time to figure it out. We promise we'll tell you tomorrow. Right. And, and it worked out really well. So one of those things that probably happened, you know, within the first 10 years of my career, but it was good lesson. It stayed with me a long time. Yes. Good, <laughs> a good lesson to have to, to take early on in your career. Yeah. And, and does that, you know, the, the, I suppose the, the challenges there with manufacturing and, and other functions, because that's not solely down to a quality leader or, or is it, or is that, does that stem from the leadership and the, the general culture of the business? 
It does. I think it all goes back to culture because as we've said, it, it's not, it can't all be on quality, right? But it is on quality to build a culture that people feel like they can come to you with any problem, right? right? So that you're approachable and you're calm and you're not reacting or chiding them. Um, you just, okay, this is what happened. We'll fix it. We'll document it. Every problem has a solution. You just need to figure out what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so how do you go about, I suppose, defining the the return on investment to a, a, a C-level person or a CEO of a, of a biotech? Because like you said, it's not, this is the earliest you've been in a quality function. Not not a huge amounts of huge amounts of um, preclinical or early phase biotechs bringing quality that early. They might use consultants, but and a lot of that might be to, to do with the um, I suppose the hazy nature of the of what um, what quality good quality brings you as a, as a business. So how, how would you go about defining that ROI to senior leadership? I think you know especially. As you mentioned, in the clinical stage, it's a little bit different than the commercial stage. There, there are different things that you can look for at that commercial stage than you can at the clinical stage. Because right now, in absence of that, you know, if you're just focused focused on patient safety, you might be, you know, it's hard to disprove the negative. We we don't have any any you know known problems yeah. with patient safety. So is that the return on investment? No, and it, it stays in line with the same line of thinking of. Every single person is there with patient safety in mind. If not, they shouldn't be <laughs> in the organization, right? So everybody has that focus. So what is quality doing uh, to bring that focus, right? And I would say at this stage, it should be two things, right? The, the first thing is, again, assuming the patient safety is in place and you're giving them um, the fundamentals of how to document and apply that consistently, you know, I think that's a given. You have to have that. But the return on investment should be, from the moment they get the results that they want, that say they have uh, a drug that they want to register, right? So they're going to file. So from that moment in time where they get those results and they've decided to file to the moment they file that NDA, there's a clock, right? And everybody wants it to be fast. Having QA in early should make it be faster than it would be without having yeah. QA, right? Yeah. And so you should be measuring that return on investment all along, you know, measuring where we're at with the TMF or, or things like that, documents that you need um, for filing, how we're doing as far as inspection readiness, right? Mm. Um, you've got to have the documents and the data that will support that filing ready <clears throat> in submittable form, easy to find, you know, following all the principles of Alcoa. So <clears throat> that's what you're also bringing because you have access to those. You know of there's always problems. <clears throat> so if you know of those problems early on, yeah. then you can yeah. fix them and not be adding to your timeline if you don't look into those documents until later. Yeah. <clears throat> I think the other thing is always being inspection ready. You know whether that be for a partner audit or for the FDA audit for a pre-approval inspection. Um, you need to to have a team that's inspection ready. That's what quality should be bringing for you that early on. That's great advice. Well, look, um, some really good insights there, I suppose. So we um, we end the um, end the podcast with uh, a couple of quick fire questions. Um, so, um, first question: What advice would you give to the next generation of uh, quality leaders 
uh, in the pharma and biotech industry? Uh, well, sure. Don't, again, focus on the value add. Don't always point it off to <clears throat> FDA as a reason for putting your 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 systems in place, right? Um, really search for the value add and don't just take uh, one mistake that people make all the time is they'll they'll take an SOP from another company and put it into theirs and it, it never works. You have to customize it for your own, you know, right size it, make sure it works for you and make sure you have everybody on board as far as what they're looking for, uh, for value add, right? And don't forget history. That would be the other, other thing. Yeah. Um, don't neglect history and don't neglect other um, other industries. I think this industry seems to be sometimes snobby about taking lessons from other industries. Oh, they, yeah. they do that in banking. Well, there's a lot of data integrity with banking, right? There's a lot of lessons to be learned there. Aviation, a lot of things like that. So don't be afraid to look at how another industry is doing something and see if you can adopt it. What gets you up in the morning? Oh, the uh, I, I guess the the it's a fresh day. It's a brand new day. A chance to to help. Um, a chance to make somebody's day. I think I've learned that it's not always the big things. It's not always that I'm getting up and I'm going on vacation today. It's more, you know, what are the small things that will make you happy or or make someone else happy? Like having a cup of coffee on the deck before anybody's up and it's quiet. You know, the same as in the workplaces. <clears throat> telling somebody that they did a good job on something that you really appreciated the work that they, you know, submitted, you know, to, to make them smile, give you know, make them have, have a good day as yeah. well. That's brilliant. And that's, a, that's, I think that's a really good way to, to end things. Um, I think there's some really good bits of information, practical advice and practical tips that people can take away from, um, from your journey. I think the explaining the significance, the history, um, the, the, the tragedies along the way, um, is such a, a valuable way of, um, making it real for people and, and I suppose giving people a, um, an understanding of the impact that they're having, um, which yeah. will, will drive that, um, performance and attitude and culture within the workplace. So, you know, it's clearly working. Um, so, um, thank you for, for, for providing that, um, that information. Um, if people want to to reach out to you, Anne, what's the best way to to, to contact you or get in, get in touch? Um, if, a, if, a, if a young quality associate or a, or a QA manager wants to um, carry on in, in your path, how how would they get in touch with you? Sure, probably either my email, which I can leave with you, or LinkedIn. I'm I'm available on LinkedIn. Brilliant. Well, look, we'll um, we'll leave all the the notes and stuff in in the in the in the comments, but. Um, Thank you for for your time. Thanks for joining us, Anne. Um, great to have you aboard. And um, yeah, see, see, speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Anne. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's show. I hope that you got value from it, whether you're starting your career in quality or if you're at the top of your field. Today's episode was brought to you by RX Group. I'm the founder of RX Group. We are a pharma and biotech recruitment organization focusing purely on quality assurance. We recruit consultants and senior level permanent quality professionals into the pharma and biotech industry. If we can support you, whether that be in a hiring capacity or if you yourself are looking for work, please get in touch with me on LinkedIn, visit our LinkedIn page where you can subscribe to the podcast and visit our website www.rx-group.io to find out more about us. See you soon.